I am really happy to be here with you. This is going to be season two of the podcast. Uh, We're going to keep building on all of the things that we talked about in season one, have some new guests, uh, dive into some different topics, and I'm really excited to keep sharing with you the thing that I'm passionate about, which is really helping women to uh, deprogram from their you know, societal beliefs about their body and uh, can begin to love themselves and then to engage in more health behavior because they love themselves, right? And seeing health behavior as sort of a natural consequence of self-love and instead of using, you know, exercise or eating well as a way to earn self-love, really starting from that place uh, and then building from there. So I've been chatting with a lot of clients lately about how they've been very nervous to begin an exercise program because they had a lot of trauma around exercise and just growing up getting a lot of messaging from parents and peers and members of society that really reflected back to them that their body was unacceptable as it was, right? This starts very early. I remember being five years old and uh, my mom trying to put a pair of pants on me and I said, these make me look fat. And I have no idea where I'd heard that. I don't know if she had said that and and modeled that. I don't know if I had seen it on TV. Maybe I had heard a relative say it. I have no idea. But she told me that story. And it is incredible to think that at five years old, I had already seen what I guess a woman's body was supposed to look like. Maybe another little girl. I have no idea. And I had compared it to my own. And I thought, this is unacceptable. Uh, And I'm uh, a naturally smaller bodied person, right? And so you think about somebody who has a body that's uh, much more different from the norm and the kind of messaging that you would get throughout your entire lifetime. Even the way sizing is done, you know, what's available in stores. If you do not have a body type that is deemed acceptable, the consequence of that and the punishment is that you no longer had things are better now but when we were younger you no longer had the the right to dress yourself in a way that you liked because there were so few options Um, nothing was made in your size and so you think of people growing up like this just experiencing this constant feeling of being othered by society uh, because of their body and you know my clients nervous to start personal training thinking it's going to feel traumatic like it always has for their entire life, right? There's this whole industry that has basically shamed and abused them. And what I ask my clients to do and what they're able to do is to approach someone in that industry and say, I'd like to work with you, you know? And that takes a lot of courage coming from, you know, an industry that has benefited from their self-loathing for so long. And uh, it's really been a privilege, you know, and what I've been reflecting on the last couple months is... First of all, what a privilege it is to work with so many different kinds of people and in so many different phases of life. And also all of the value of engaging in health behavior that has nothing to do with aesthetics. You know, we're really taught that the whole focus of diet and exercise is to change your body shape. You know, there's really no messaging about diet and exercise being good for you just because, right? Um, Or at least the messaging is not as compelling. It's certainly not as common. And so you're really getting this idea that the only reason to engage in those behaviors is if you 
dislike the shape of your body and you want to change it. I think for people who are growing up in a body that has been othered by society, you already sort of come from the place where you know you're not going to meet those expectations. You're not going to meet that that beauty standard that's been put in front of you, right? It's not possible. And so the messaging there is like, what's the point of engaging in health behavior, right? If the only reason to diet or exercise is to change my body and my body because of its shape or because of uh, my height or because of my weight, my body's not going to meet that standard. And so there's really no point in engaging in these health behaviors. And what happens is that it becomes something that so many people don't get to benefit from because they don't see it as belonging to them. Uh, you know, people think, you know, larger body people look at a gym and they think, you know, maybe that that place isn't for me, right? That's not where people like me go. Um, when I walk in there, I feel uncomfortable. I feel like people are looking at me. I feel like people are judging me. You know, sometimes I have to work with my clients just to be in a public space for the purpose of exercise again, because there's so much fear around that, um, so much negative self-talk and potentially some truly traumatic experiences of being around people who are unkind. And so if you think to yourself, this is not a place that's meant for me, you're not going to go there. And the problem is that going there helps, it is helpful and is wonderful in so many ways uh, that have nothing to do with the shape of your body, right? And then so many people don't get to benefit from all of those ways that uh, health behaviors could be enhancing their life and making their lives better because they don't understand there's, there's, there's a diverse set of reasons to engage in these kinds of behaviors, uh, which is kind of what I want to talk about today. When you think about what eating your well, feeling yourself well, and moving your body, what these do for the brain. Research shows that physical inactivity is related to increases in anxiety and depression, that immediately after a workout, anxiety levels are decreased. Physical activity is shown to improve not only physical health, but also cognitive functioning, psychological well-being, uh, helps give people an increased feeling of satisfaction for life. Uh, it's a treatment for mild to moderate depression, right? As a first-time treatment, it's a really great, least intrusive option that's accessible to anybody. Uh, you do not need a prescription for it. Exercise is a cost-efficient treatment alternative for many anxiety disorders. If it can't be used alone, it can be used in conjunction with uh, psychopharmaceutical medications to increase the efficacy of those. In addition to all of these sort of biological benefits and psychological benefits, we also have the increased benefits of feeling connected to a community, uh, increased self-esteem, uh, increased feelings of self-mastery. Um, access to a social network, uh, access to a hobby that's enjoyable, like all of these additional things that are more sort of social um, reinforcers of exercise are also really important too and lend themselves to overall increased senses of well-being and life satisfaction. And so it's interesting when you think, you know, in all of those reasons, not once did I mention aesthetics, right? And so it's really interesting how... People often get into exercise initially for aesthetic reasons because of, you know, wanting to meet the societal standard, right? Or be perceived as good enough by the people in their community and, and may not even have any of those other things on their radar. 
right? But when you think about what's going to really transform your life, what would actually make you feel happier if you had a community or you had a perfect body, right? It's like having a community is going to be so much more valuable, but because of the insane focus on the physical body in our society, there's all these beliefs around how having this body will change my life, how having this body will finally heal inner child parts of me, right? How I'll have access to everything I ever wanted. And so this becomes such a main reason to engage in health behavior. And like I said, when you have a group of people who have already sort of accepted they're not going to meet the societal standards, physical standards, they might not even be aware of or or care yet for all of the other benefits of exercise that that are totally an inside job, right? That really change everything from the inside out. So I feel like it's such a travesty that people, you know, so many people in our society believe that health behavior and the gym and exercise aren't for them and that there's really no point in engaging in those behaviors uh, because they're not going to meet the societal standard of beauty anyways. And so something that I do with a lot of my clients is we have a sort of set the bar low mindset, which means that instead of thinking I'm going to completely overnight adjust who I am, the first thing we do is start from a place of love, right? If you had a child who was struggling with, uh, you know, grade one challenges, right? You're not going to give him grade six work. So when clients come in because they love themselves and want to be gentle with themselves, they identify a goal for health behavior that is super doable, right? It's like, I'm just going to drink more water. And it's all rooted in the underlying desire just to be healthier and more well and feel more confident and more capable, right? It's not coming from a perspective of the things that are wrong with them. It's really with a focus on all of the things that are right with them. So we identify some health behaviors and and we're coming from a place of so much love, so much self-acceptance that, you know, what do you do with something you love? How do you treat something that you love? You care for it. Um, And it's interesting, you know, when you think about a car, uh, we don't just wash the outside, right? And ignore the engine. Like in our society, I feel like that's what we're taught to do is like, as long as you look good on the outside, we're going to just assume that the engine is good. We're just going to assume that the inside is good, right? Because of course, skinny must equal health. Those two things must go together. I mean, that's the information that we've been fed all of our lives. And so it's almost like we've been driving these cars and there's no attention to the inside and helping the car have what it needs to run. And uh, there's just this attention on making the outside look better at whatever cost. You know, when clients really start to value taking care of that engine more than having a focus on the outside, there's a natural desire to want to care for this vessel that carries us through life, right? Even when we're not treating it well, it's, it still does what it needs to do uh, and coming from a place of gratitude for that. And so clients will identify a goal that's just above their current baseline. You know, if they're like, I'm drinking no water, it's like, all right, let's get maybe a cup of water in a day and that's it. First thing in the morning, get it done, done for the day, you met your goal, great right? Starting super low and then really building over time. The thing about behavior change is that the more painful it is, the shorter amount of time you're going to be able to sustain it, right? It's too aversive. It requires too much energy. As Dr. Huberman, a Stanford lab researcher would call it, it causes too much limbic friction, which means essentially the behavior chain, right? If you've listened to the other episodes on behavior chaining, the behavior chain for these behaviors is too long, It's too hard. Um, Maybe there are too many steps. 
it's too complicated. You don't have any coping mechanisms yet. There are a lot of sort of confounding variables that are going to keep you from being successful here. And so what we're wanting to do is identify something maybe that clients are already doing. So it's already in their repertoire. And it's like, hey, can you just increase this behavior a little bit? Right? Instead of saying, I'm going to teach you how to Olympic deadlift, maybe it's just I want you to increase your steps. You know, instead of teaching you how to meal prep everything on Sunday for the whole week and have it perfectly laid out, maybe it's just I'd like you to eat one more serving of veggies per week or per day. The wonderful thing about this is that this is an easy thing that you can sustain. And you might think to yourself, this is not going to be effective. And I know it's frustrating, right? My clients come in and they want to make a big change. Like I'm motivated. I want to capitalize on all of my motivation right now and change everything right now, right? Because it's like, oh my gosh, the motivation is here. I better use it because I know it's going to be gone soon. So I want to change everything very quickly uh, before I go back to my regular self, which is generally unmotivated to engage in this behavior. And what we're trying to do is say, all right, I know it's going to feel like you have too much motivation for this easy goal, but what's going to happen is when the motivation decreases and this is no longer feeling exciting and the reality of it is setting in and you're going on vacations and school's out for the summer and, you know, all of these different things, weddings and deaths and life just happening. How are you going to sustain this behavior, right? Because life is going to happen and that's when people fall off usually, quote unquote, fall off, whatever that means, right? That's when people can no longer, they just no longer have the bandwidth because this thing is requiring too much from them. There's not enough left to be able to pivot and be flexible in life when new things come up. And so what we want to do is say, all right, we're going to set the bar low. We're going to identify that very first beginner goal, increase it over time, and then we're going to build on that, right? If any of you have read James Clear's Atomic Habits, you know, he talks about getting 1% better a day. Or he talks about when you're trying to set a goal, just do the first two minutes of it. That's the hardest amount of time. You know, when I'm I'm looking at behavior chains, it's that first behavior that's the trickiest, right? When you are tired in the morning, what's the hardest thing to do? Just get out of bed. That's it. Once you're out, yeah, maybe it's hard to keep going, get in the shower, get your clothes on, but they are infinitely easier than that initial first step of just getting out of the bed. It's that first step that's the hardest. When I think about going to the gym, it's not once I'm in the gym and I'm doing the exercise that I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to be here. It's really hard to make myself be here. That's not the hard moment. The hard moment is grabbing my water bottle, grabbing my purse, opening the door, locking myself out of my house and walking downstairs. That is the hardest thing to do. And so James Clear says, just do the first two minutes. Once you do the first two minutes, it's easy after that. It's easier. It's it's easier enough that you are able to have whatever you need to do it, right? The first two minutes takes discipline. After that, it's not as challenging. So when we set the bar low, I tell my clients it's going to take you twice as long, but it's going to be twice as easy, if if at least twice as easy. It's going to be so much easier. What I want to do with my clients is identify a level of challenge that's just barely above where they are currently so that they they can't notice hardly, right? It's top of mind, like drink more water or eat a veggie. It's more top of mind, but it's not feeling so effortful because it's not an entire overhaul of their previous life, right? It's not like on December 31st, you're going to go to sleep and on January 1st, you're going to wake up and be a different person. You're not, you're the same person. And I wonder why it's hard to accept that. It's the lack of accepting that that keeps us from meeting our goals. If I can't accept that at the end of the day, I am so tired and overwhelmed and I just want to relax 
there's no way that I'm going to exercise at the end of the day, if I just admit that to myself, okay, I'm not a night exercise person, now what? Now I have choices. I can choose what to do. If that's off the table, I have other choices. Go a different time of day, wake up earlier, do it on a lunch break, you know, do it at home so it takes less time. I have many, many choices. But until I accept that I'm not that person yet, that'll just, you know, engage in all these behaviors, I'm not going to be able to make a plan to engage in those behaviors. It's like, oh, I got to eat healthy today. And then every night when you go to bed, oh my gosh, I didn't eat healthy today. Or, oh, I'm going to go to the gym today. And then every night when you go to bed, oh, I didn't go to the gym today. Okay, so it's so interesting. Okay, so it's like if you say something to a child a hundred times or a thousand times and they don't get it, who's the slow learner? right? Like really, who is the slow learner? If we continue to do the same thing over and over and over again, and then beat ourselves up over and over and over again, it's not working. And there's just this refusal to accept that fact. I think because it must feel like a personal failure, right? If I just admit to myself, I'm not eating healthy. I can't. I can't eat healthy with my current plan. That's the caveat there. That's the little footnote. It's not, I can't eat healthy, period which is maybe what people tell themselves, I just can't do it. I'm worthless, I'm lazy, I'm a piece of shit, I can't do it, right? This negative self-talk spiral that you kind of go down. Not helpful. However, what if you told yourself, I can't do it with this plan? What's this plan? Oh, I don't really have a plan. My plan right now is just to tell myself every morning that I'm going to eat healthier and then I kind of hope that I remember that I made that promise in the moment even though it's between meetings and I'm busy at work and there's not a lot of options and, you know, the kids are running around if I'm at home and and they're screaming and I'm trying to clean up and the baby needs to go down for a nap. I mean, a thousand things are happening and you're going to expect yourself to remember this small moment this morning when you just quickly shamed yourself because you, you didn't eat healthy the previous day. If you acknowledge that plan, if you can call it a plan, isn't working, you are now free to make a different plan. Okay, so just telling myself I'm going to eat healthier is not enough. It's not an effective intervention. I need more support. I need a higher level of support. Okay, if you can identify for yourself that you're not going to engage in that behavior, now you're free to identify a solution. You know, you're free to acknowledge that the plan, if you can call it that, of just shaming yourself quickly in the morning and then hoping that in the moment you make a different choice, that plan isn't working. Okay, so I'm busy. Right? Maybe I can acknowledge about my life that it's busy. So what do busy people need? They need things to be easier. Okay, so I just need to make this easier for myself. Maybe I need to buy pre-made meals. Maybe I need to use a meal prep service or go to a meal prep store. Like we have one here in uh, Dublin. Uh, Maybe I need to hire a person, an individual person to do this for me. Maybe I need to go to the store, buy the vegetables that you can steam in a bag, buy bagged salads and rotisserie chickens. Right? This is another way. Go to the deli and get some lunch meat. Throw together some sandwiches. There are lots of different ways to make this easier. And making things easier is a solution to a problem. But the issue is that until we accept the problem, we're never going to be able to identify a solution. Until we just say, yeah, I'm at this point in time, not the kind of person who can engage in this behavior. At this point in time, and this is not a self-shame situation, right? This is not a negative self-talk. This is a true acknowledgement At this point in time, I am not a person who can consistently engage in meal prep. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not a, it's not a way of shaming yourself because there's no shame around it. You can identify why you're not doing it, right? I don't have the energy or my mental health is really struggling or I'm busy with other things. 
there are other reasons and that's okay. You don't have to be able to do it a certain way in order to make progress. You don't have to do it the way somebody else did it. You don't have to prep all of your food on Sunday in perfect meal prep containers. It doesn't have to look like that. It can be flexible and flowy and it can be whatever you need it to look like while you are building these habits and shaping these behaviors over time. So being able to accept that, that part of yourself that that isn't successful with your current goal, isn't that the most fair thing? When you think about a child, would you keep giving them the same problem over and over and over again and they're telling you, I, this, I don't have the skills to work out this problem. I don't know how to do this exercise. And you say, well, you fail, try again tomorrow. Here it is. Well, you fail, try again tomorrow. Like how unkind is that? Instead of sitting next to the child and saying, all right, let's do it together, right? Let's get some support or let's go to a different level of challenge and let's start there and let's build over time. What you're essentially asking yourself to do is solve the same problem every day, but there's no additional supports. There's no additional strategies. It's just the same negative self-talk every day for the rest of your life. This is so unkind to yourself. And isn't it the more kind thing to just say, I'm not in a place in my life where I can make lunches. And that's, that's so fine. And now you can figure out a hundred different ways to do it so that you don't have to make lunches. I want you to think about when you have a goal for yourself and you're struggling to meet that goal. I want you to think about how you would support a child of yours or a best friend to accomplish that goal. If your best friend comes to you and says, I'm really struggling with this goal, would you tell them, well, try harder and try again tomorrow? Or would you maybe look up some resources for them? And you might recommend a book and you might share with them a quote that was meaningful to you. And you might say, I'll join you and we can practice this together. Like you might offer some different things, but you wouldn't every day for the rest of your life say, well, just try harder. Like everyone else can do it. I don't know why you can't, right? This is bonkers. If you would do it for your kids, then you deserve to do it for yourself. And if you wouldn't do it for your kids or to your kids, you shouldn't be doing it to yourself either. So you're going to identify. So these are the two biggest things that I want you to keep in mind and take away from the podcast today is the first thing I want you to do is just accept where you are in your journey. Accept it and don't attach shame to it. This is where you are and it's okay. You're good enough. This is your starting spot. This is what's hard for you. This is what's not working. Accept that. Accept what's not working so you can stop trying it. Right? Number two, identify a really easy goal. Set the bar low. I'm just going to do this one thing, but I'm going to do it consistently every day, rain or shine, no matter what. Because I'm learning how to keep promises to myself. I'm learning how to not engage in self-betrayal. I'm learning how to heal my inner child and teach her to trust me. Right? Set the bar low. Identify a behavior that you can sustain for the rest of your life and start working on that. And for all of you out there who have a lot of trauma around body image and feel like this is dating back to like single digits, right? When you were just a little girl trying to figure out how to like exist and survive in this world. I want you to know that health behavior is for you because you deserve it. Your body deserves love too. Your body deserves care and good food and movement in whatever way you value. Why doesn't your body deserve that? And not for the purpose of making other people happy or looking good enough that it 
you know, is essentially the rent you pay to exist on earth just for the purpose of treating this thing so well so that it can continue to run for the rest of your life well, right? And you can feel good and you can do things when you're older and you can run around with your kids and grandkids and you don't have diabetes and you're not at risk of a heart attack. Like your people who love you want you to stay around. They love you. They need you around and they don't care what your body looks like. I think about all the different women in my life who have been so important to me. Never did it occur to me to be in any way focused on what their body was looking like. I don't care. All I cared about was the way that they made me feel. And that's all your people care about too. They just love you. So until you have learned to love yourself and until you have learned to love your body, I want you to borrow some of that love from the people who love you. Like these people love you. They want to keep you for as long as they can and set the bar low, identify some health behaviors that you can really start getting into and shape slowly over time and do it. At first, you're going to be doing it for them maybe, right? But eventually, I want you to do it for yourself because you deserve it, because your body is the conduit through which you give and receive love and because the people who love you want to be able to show you and express that to you and have as many memories with you as possible. This is the way that you not only show yourself but also your kids love because as you love on your own body and show your children that the body deserves love and not at all for what it looks like, it deserves love regardless of how it looks, you're teaching them to love their bodies as well. You're modeling that behavior for them. Your body and your family deserve that. And I'm excited to exist in a society that is starting to be more uh, body diversity inclusive, but it's going to take time. And for a lot of people who grew up in an you know, older society, there's going to be some trauma to undo. But the first step is really to start working on loving yourself by engaging in health behavior for you, not for anybody else, not for society, for you, because that's what you deserved all along. It's wonderful to be back chatting with you. Uh, Really excited. If there's ever any content that you want to hear, if there's anyone that you ever want featured on the podcast, please reach out uh, through my Instagram. It's DivergentFitnessCA. You can find me also on my website, www.DivergentFitnessCA.com. Really focused on changing the narrative around health and exercise for women. Uh, from aesthetic to be focused on all the other benefits that are so much more meaningful and valuable and really helping women be strong in a world that teaches them to be small. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'd love to hear from you. Leave a review, check in, chat. Uh, I love connecting. So I look forward to chatting again next week and have an awesome day. Mm